now. Yeah. Uh, I was reading an interesting um, article where you talked about the difficulty sort of in going from your first feature to your second feature, but then it seems like in a short period of time you've done your second, third, and now you're in pre-production almost for your fourth. How's that kind of, um, how's that sort of happened where it's taken almost 10 years to go from one to two, and then two to four is... Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I don't know. It's kind of like, in some ways, I guess it's like, a, it's like a like a bus, right? You're kind of waiting for a bus, and then like two come, and then sometimes three come, and I don't know. It's funny. Like I think you put so much. Maybe in some ways, it's maybe like the second album syndrome as well with musicians, where you kind of like you put. It takes so much energy and kind of time and strength to kind of like when I did my first feature, The Inheritance, in two thousand and seven. When I did that, it's the kind of thing. Uh, it was like um, the first really big project that I'd committed to, that I'd made. And then when I had that finished and when it was released and when we did there, I just hadn't had the time to kind of like get anything else ready, really. Um, and so even with scripts and stuff like that, I mean, the average script takes three to five years to develop, you know, if it gets made. So it's the kind of thing within that time, it was kind of like, okay, like I've made this film now. And now it is. It's like everybody says it is so much harder to make your second film than your first film. Mm. How did you manage to, I guess, overcome that hurdle without throwing in the towel? I, I guess more than anything, it's just like uh, like sheer like belligerent uh, stubbornness <laughs> is like the best way I could say. I like. I think. I don't know. Like I, I just think it's like yeah. You you definitely need like a bloody mindedness. I think. I think. Um, it's Billy Wilder said it best where, you know, he said filmmaking takes stamina and that's it really. And it's just, you know, I, uh, obviously in that time I had a few films, few features that I was attached to for, for whatever reason didn't go or didn't work out. Um, and I, I think more than anything, what's funny is even though, um, it took a little bit of time, you know, to get the films going, what, what was interesting is during that period, like, my love of filmmaking and love of cinema, you know, it grows stronger, you know, like every year as well. So, you know, in some ways it's quite frustrating, but in other ways it was like, it was quite nice because I could hone my craft doing like documentaries and doing kind of other kind of film work, uh, short films, uh, music videos and stuff that I actually hadn't done before I did my, did the inheritance. Yeah. Wow. So you just kind of jumped in balls out, almost made a, it's a 5,000 pound, film in 11 days which is just mind-boggling to say the least I mean the kind of rule of thumb usually is you either need time or money and you had neither Um, but you still managed to create a feature that has kind of you know kick-started this career I didn't actually realize that that was actually quite literally the first sort of proper thing that you'd made what was the process like of kind of Uh, building that up and how was the project brought to you what was really interesting um was i um i kind of made like short films myself like from like 15 to like 17 i made like 25 short films so i made a lot of little short films just myself um but i was really fortunate um when i went to university i just studied the theory of film and still knew i wanted to be a filmmaker but 
I kind of felt like I didn't, I'd already made films myself, so I didn't really want to learn how to make it, you know, in a kind of academic way, do you which remember, sounds really pretentious. <laughs> do, do you remember the first, uh, the first film that you made or the first time that you kind of, uh, that you created something and that you sort of knew this is what I want to pursue? Yeah, like, I, it was funny, like, even when, because, um, like, in Scotland, like, saying you wanted to be a filmmaker when I was growing up was like saying you wanted to be an astronaut. Right. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, I saved up my uh, paper run money. I used to do a paper run. And uh, I saved up my paper run money. I bought my first kind of camcorder. And the thing that was funny, even with that, like, camcorder, and when I started making my first little short films, like, if I was kind of really specific with the storyboards, like, if I was really careful, even when it was like I was making the films myself, it was pretty incredible to me, even then, like, how close I could get to... I could do it myself and and back then I'd be like filming them myself I'd be acting in them myself I'd be editing them myself because there was like no way you could tell anybody it was like this dark secret that I was making films in my bedroom so yeah no I, I did the you know I did lots of little very experimental and yeah it was good I remember adapting it was a character in an Elmo Leonard novel uh, called Bobby Dio so I remember kind of like making this little film about this character called Bobby Dio and yeah it's funny to look back at that kind of stuff now and yeah what was the was there kind of uh, recurring themes in the subject matter? Not really. It's the thing that was quite funny. It, it was um, looking back. It was kind of like um, I, I would never think about it. Kind of like uh, thematically. Um, I would. I mean, the the biggest one I did was uh, I did a little like kind of uh, suspenseful like horror film, um, and I would have like uh, like the music from The Shining on, <laughs> and I'd be like mixing it myself because I, I would edit them video to video. Yeah. Um, and like my sound mix would be like I would be filming the television, playing the film, and I would like have like the two ghetto blasters beside me, and then I would be like fading in uh, the Halloween music and then the Shining music, <laughs> and then like putting the little sound effects in and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was fun. And what was funny was even like then it was like the camera falls over. I'd be looking back at the rushes. I'm like, oh, that actually looks pretty cool. Yeah. So like, it, it was kind of cool because I was like, oh, like I can really celebrate these mistakes, you know. And I, I think I can, with my career, I've been definitely been celebrating my mistake, my mistakes all the way through. That's that. That's the constant theme. <laughs> You're right. Okay. <laughs> so when uh, when this kind of dark, dirty secret, so to speak, uh, started bubbling up to the surface, I guess as you're sort of finishing high school. What's the what's the kind of response when you're like, Mum, Dad, I'm gonna go and be a filmmaker. <laughs> well, what's funny is again, like my mom and dad, like I would show them, like I'd show my mom, like and my dad, the the little films that I'd made and stuff. And I think they were kind of like, uh, they were like, oh, you know, you, you know, they really want me to be like a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. But again, they were they were like really supportive, and and I think they thought. Um, I remember my dad saying to me because. Once I finished university and I kept making films and I kind of, after you, you know, I finished university, I moved back home before I kind of moved to London. Um, and I remember going out and I'd been in New York for a little while and I, I made a little short film out there. Um, and I remember like sitting there, uh, like on like, this was like, uh, this must be like 2000 and maybe like three or four. So I was kind of like, I was editing it on the family computer. I didn't have a laptop then. I remember dad like coming down at like four o'clock in the morning. He's like, oh, you're still working on your film. And I, and I could see him in his face. He was kind of like, oh, like he's got, you know what I mean? It's not like a, a, a fad really. Um, and then, yeah, I, w I was really fortunate because when I moved to London, I did like the usual, like applying for loads of running jobs um, and, uh, you know, just hustled like crazy. And eventually um, I got offered to work uh, for a company called Vertical Films. 
Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like it was kind of, again, like I was working uh, as a tailor at the time uh, to kind of pay the bills. And they were like, you can come and do work experience for us. Clothes, clothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which, again, is quite, it's weirdly quite similar to filmmaking in a way, you know, in terms of like, weirdly, yeah, you're kind of dealing with people and kind of people's insecurities. And in some ways, it's like a performance. It's weird. Um, but, um, and it's, yeah, and, you, and you're kind of tweaking things as well. It's kind of like it's quite interesting but um what was the do you have any like bizarre stories or memories from being a tailor i mean it was funny like i i worked in uh it was it was a, it was a funny time in my life it was good i, I worked in uh, harvey nichols in london uh which is kind of a really luxury kind of store but is I mean, something that you had experience in yeah i kind of Scotland? yeah at, at university i'd kind of worked in clothes shops i've always loved clothes and um so yeah, like but this was a funny store where like um, it was you know very kind of prestigious, but like the the stuff that went on there, like I remember turning up one day to work and there'd been like a flood. Do you know what I mean? And the, the place was kind of like I can kind of say this now because I'm not working there, but it was like had a massive cockroach infestation. So sometimes like you know you would pull out like a suit to say like what do you think about this sir, and like two massive cockroaches would fall off it in front of people and stuff. So it was this like this mad situation where um, yeah like um, yeah, you, you would be kind of like having uh, to deal with these things. But, you know, I, I knew it was kind of time to leave where uh, I remember working there and I, I was meeting one of my friends um, after work. And um, uh, this guy, this Japanese guy ran down the stairs to the tailoring department and he was like, oh, shirts, shirts. And I was like, oh, like, do you want like formal or casual? And he was like, no, no, shirts, shirts. And I was like, okay, like casual, formal, long sleeve, short sleeve. And he was like, no, shorts. And um, tragically, uh, what happened, all these people started running down the stairs and uh, this um, uh, security guard actually uh, executed somebody he'd used to work at Harvey Nichols and he came in that night and he like executed uh, this poor, poor lady and himself like right in the middle oh, of the know. shop floor, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, luckily my friend was okay and stuff like that, but it was just kind of uh, like, yeah, really upsetting and really kind of like, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, so it's kind of like the kind of thing where I was like, okay, well, yeah, I better like really do what I want to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you never know what's around the corner, literally. So, um, yeah, when the opportunity to, to work for Vertigo came up, it was like, they were like, we can, you can work for like a month, but we can't pay you. So it was just that kind of thing of like, ooh, you know, give up. Because you know what it's like in London, right? It's expensive. So to kind of, to give that up and kind of do it, I was just like, yeah, no, I've got to do it. How know? old were you at that time? Uh, twenty twenty-two. Okay. Uh, and and so what what sort of stuff were you doing for Vertigo? It was brilliant. I mean, it was like I was such a little belligerent little shit that like when uh, when I first like when they first contacted me because I must have applied for like two hundred three hundred like unpaid uh, uh, jobs running jobs and like heard like very little back and maybe did a couple of ones that you know that weren't didn't work out. But the Vertigo one was the first like film company. I remember when I walked into their office, uh, they've got like a, ma they had a massive, they'd just done Pusher 2, distribute Pusher 2. Oh, wow. And I was just like, oh my God, Nicholas Munden Refn. And they were like, oh yeah, but we, you know, we've done like a football factory and a business. I was like, Pusher 2, like, <laughs> no offense guys, but Pusher 2, much better. So, um, but yeah, so then I, after I had that like initial interview, like I literally would like call them like every like week, do you know what I mean? Be like, please, please, please. And eventually they like must have just gave up and just let me come in. But yeah, I mean like my job back then, it was like, uh, I was like making like 60 teas and cups of tea, teas and coffees a day. Like uh, it was like, um, 
like I had to help my, my boss move house. Nick, not Nick Love, the director. It was like painting toilets. Like it was kind of like yeah, right. it was like everything. But the thing for me, it was like I used to always have a joke with myself where I was like, like the shittest thing they make me do, like painting the toilets, was pretty bad. Like yeah. <laughs> like when people are kind Literally of like a shitty job. <laughs> you know, dude, they were like people were like going in to use the toilet, and then I'd have to go in after them and continue my painting. It was like <laughs> oh, so grim. But I was kind of like I had a thing where I was like. The, the, the shittiest thing that they asked me to do uh, the more I will like thank them and smile and appreciate it because I just need to like you know make this work and like my dad's like a blacksmith back in Scotland so it's the kind of thing where like I kind of work with him and helped him and stuff like that and he's got like an amazing work ethic and stuff so I'd been used to working hard and doing that kind of thing so I was I was kind of I fit in quite well in that way because I was kind of like I'm quite unpretentious in that work ethic kind of way um but yeah, it was a great place. Like, um, I started uh, after that month, and the you know my invention begging and stuff like that. They they like let me be a, a production assistant on Dirty Sanchez the movie. Cool. Which is like jackass essentially, right? But that was, I mean, that was like an amazing opportunity and, and a bizarre, bizarre place to, to work because, um you know at that young age i was basically organizing we all had like a different part of the world because they went around to the, a tour on the world and so i had to look after like dominican republic so like at 22 i was kind of like you know calling up dominican republic and uh yeah just like booking stuff and it was it was surreal like and those guys are quite out there anyway so kind of like making a film with them was like yeah there was so much crazy stuff that went on i think like one of the best things that happened was um this like producer he uh he was getting uh he got like ten thousand pounds out on the day before they they were supposed to fly out for like two months of traveling around the world and um he was like uh you know it's 10 grand it's quite a lot of money to get out and stuff and uh so he was like this really macho guy like you know man's man and uh i get this phone call in the office late this evening before they're about to go off and he's like uh it's this guy tim and he's like oh charlie um like uh there's been an issue like i've been arrested like uh, the um, the fraud squad have grabbed me and they think I'm kind of like money laundering. So I'm going to have to come back to the production office and uh, they need to verify that I'm really doing this for a film because they don't believe I'm doing this for a film. Like, So I was like, all right, cool, shit. And then the guys from Dirty Sanchez arrived just as I was finishing this phone call and they were like, oh, what's up, Charlie? Like, And I was like, oh, you'll never guess what's happened. The police are coming around with Tim because they think he's like an international like drug smuggler or something like that. So they were like, oh, brilliant. This is hilarious. What we'll do is we'll film it and we'll all like go strip naked. And when the police arrive, we'll all jump out and it'll be fucking hilarious. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I was young and I was like, oh, no, this sounds, this sounds like a really good idea. So I should have known because when the, when the car arrived to kind of uh, at the studios to kind of like drop off, it was like an unmarked police car and like the officers were like in um, not police clothes and stuff so like we were all hiding behind the door and stuff like that with the camera and filming and then uh like so tim walks up with the policeman he's like handcuffed and shit and then he knocks on the door and then like we like burst out and like and i swear one of the cops like went to his holster <laughs> like they went mental police went crazy were like you know like threatened to arrest everyone cancel the whole shoot uh, like everybody got like interrogated for like two hours like they missed the Great. initial flight had to go back in and like yeah and then eventually they got up but like that was even before they went on the plane <laughs> like it was just mayhem before that but what was really cool was that um 
I saw how easy it was to make a film in some ways. That film was like shot on Z1s and it was kind of like, um, yeah, really small crew. And um, yeah, it was shot in a really kind of documentary style way, but was still obviously projected in the cinema, was put to a film print and stuff. So it really made me think, ah, like, you know, you, you can make a film for kind of next to nothing. Yeah. So how does that kind of then give you the impetus to go on and, and make your own film? And also, what do you feel like you kind of learned being at, I guess, ground zero of uh, essentially independent film that was being made. Yeah, it's cool. Like, I, I think what was really nice, like from like the, the ground zero bit, I guess for me, more than anything, it was like, uh, what's great about filmmaking is it's like, if you've just got to have a work ethic, you know, if, you, if you're willing, whatever you're doing, people will really respect you if you work hard. And like, even if you don't know what you're doing, if you admit that you don't know what you're doing and you're willing to work hard, you'll be fine. And that's in anything, any part of the filmmaking process. Um, so with that, in that spirit, um, after I finished Dirty Sanchez, um, the guys were like at Vertigo were like, oh, you know, we're doing this film um, in uh, Belfast uh, called Was. And it was uh, this uh, horror, British horror film directed by this like, wonderful guy called Tom Shankland, uh, amazing director. And... Um, it was like at the time when there was a lot of kind of um, money from the lottery and stuff. So Vertigo were doing this like three million quid film. And uh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was interesting because they were shooting, they were shooting Belfast for New York. Right. <laughs> like, okay. like, like, like you do. Yeah. So but it had like Stellan Skarsgård in it, had Ashley Walter, Selma Blair and uh, Tom Hardy. So I went out there and this was like, this was like genuinely was like, even now when I look back, it was like one of the great experiences of my life. It was just like, I was walking around just like, it was the greatest, like, um, you know, I had, uh, yeah, like it was, I could go up to everybody on the film set with my little camera and say to them, oh, like, what are you doing? How do you do this? What do you do with that? And it was nice because it meant I could really, um, yeah, get a sense of what everybody was doing and yeah it was cool and and even then like uh you know I, I remember seeing um tom perform and tom hardy perform and i was just like like my goodness this guy's like electric he's like the greatest actor i've ever seen you know and he was like acting opposite stellan skarsgård who like you know worked with bergman and stuff like that in theater so yeah i just kind of like forged it at the time because again i was kind of on my little hustling ways i'd like uh i'd use my camera that I was supposed to do the making of documentary with and i'd like shot a little film with um ashley walters and john sherian who's like the bad guy and the machinist i'd kind of got after like a interview i'd be like do you want to like uh do you want to like do like an improvised scene for a short film that you do and they'd be like well what's the short film about and i'd be like what do you want it to be about? And then we just, you know, so it'd be fun with that. Just we'd kind of create this like mad thing. So Tom was up for doing this as well. And, uh, and then we just ran out of time with Tom. So when we got back to London, um, Tom was like, Oh, like we should hang out. And why don't you come and start doing a documentary about a theater group that he was running at the time called, um, shotgun 503, which was, again, it was an amazing thing that Tom did. It was like a collective of actors and, producers and writers who would all hang out in uh, the Latchmere Theatre in Battersea and yeah we just really um, you know workshop scenes and meet different people and it was through that that I met uh, the producer of The Inheritance. So the kind of through line at the moment is really just about this kind of hustle and work ethic and I guess having a kind of bigger game vision probably not consciously but just knowing that I just need to keep doing this because this is what I want to do. 
so what was the kind of uh, trajectory, I guess, then of creating the film uh, and, and shooting this 5,000 pound film in 11 days? So what was nice, it was like that kind of blind faith. Uh, so around about the same time, I was still working at Vertigo um, and uh, we were really fortunate because after I'd finished doing the making off, I started working in distribution at Vertigo, which was like such an exciting time to be there. So we uh, worked on a film, one of the many films we worked on was uh, a film called London to Brighton, directed by another amazing director, Paul Andrew Williams, who's like been a real mentor as well. Um, and he, it was just amazing because it was like they made that for £75,000 and it played in Toronto, played in Edinburgh and it was so well received and brilliant film, brilliant, brilliant film. And it, what occurred to me with that film is there was a little bit where it was like people really, um, the film's a masterpiece, but people also were really supportive of the film because it was clear how the film was made for a price, you know. And that kind of resonated with me and I thought, well, you know, when the opportunity to do the inheritance came up and again, like five thousand pounds in eleven days, I was like, you know, it'll be it'll be very difficult. But again, to be honest with you, like I'd been making the films I'd been making in Scotland and in my own time and stuff and in London and Paris and New York, I'd be making them on nothing. So even that five grand sounds cr- stupid, but it's like genuinely it was like my Titanic. Yeah. I was like, I could actually pay for something. Yeah. <laughs> like the guys actually could have a costume that wasn't my own. Yeah. Like it could be like, we could actually get a cameraman, you know? And what was great is um, the cameraman who ended up shooting the inheritance was somebody who'd helped me out in Belfast. Right. So we'd filmed in his van and done lots of stuff there. So he came over uh, from Belfast to Scotland to shoot the inheritance. Um, and again, it was just that kind of thing where it was like, I thought to myself, well, even if I make the worst film ever made, and I definitely like to think I still have that in me, that that could still happen one day, that regardless, I'll learn, right? And I'll be, um, you know, I'm happy to kind of put my, uh, just, you know, put my cojones on the line and just try and make something, you know? And even if I make the worst film ever, I'm still going to learn more than if I didn't make this film ever. Um, What's funny is like, that's somebody at 23 saying that, you know, that's the way I was thinking then. The older I get, I definitely couldn't make that film at this age now. I'm like 33 now. It's funny. Like, it's just, yeah, just, I just, you know, it's almost like I know too much now. I've got too much technique now. Back then it was kind of like, oh, cool. I can do it down and dirty. I can do this. I can do that. Um, So yeah, it was great. And, uh, you know, we, we did this journey together and it was like, in some ways, uh, I think a film like that either works or it doesn't work, you know? And like, we got so lucky on that film. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, it doesn't spoil anything, but uh, there's a scene where, like, um, the guy, somebody steals the van, the guy's car that they're traveling through Scotland with. And um, what really happened with that was that we were driving in Sky, it's like two o'clock in the morning, and the vehicle, the Volkswagen van we're driving in, literally broke down in the middle of darkness, middle of nowhere. And uh, once we've like, well, like, oh, well, this isn't good. And because uh, we still had loads to shoot. So, okay, how are we going to fix this? And it was like, we had to have a creative solution, which was why don't we get this character to then steal the van, you know, and it's gone. So it was quite nice because it was almost like it became about celebrating our limitations and making that kind of like, um, yeah, the heart of the story in some ways. That's cool. I think, you know, filmmaking, I guess, at its essence is problem solving uh, and having being prepared enough to be able to make quick decisions when you're faced with that sort of uh, situation particularly when you have a zero dollar budget um and tom hardy acted in this film and again i guess 
you should you would have shot this, I guess, two thousand and six or seven. Yeah. I guess what was it like as a kind of sidebar to see him? Because at that point he would have been probably reasonably well known in the UK, but maybe not on a global scale. Uh, I suppose my question, in in a kind of vague sense or a kind of more broad sense, uh, is what's it been like for you to see him um, as as a collaborative partner to see his kind of star just explode like it has i mean yeah it's really cool i mean it's like genuinely like nobody's done more for my career than tom and i wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for tom um he's been like um yeah an, an incredible uh inspiration and a, like a real mentor more than anything um and i think what drew me to him and you know is it's just the guy's commitment you know he's like got such a natural talent but also like an amazing commitment, not just to like uh, collaborators or just to like people in general, you know, like he's a really, um, yeah, a deeply sensitive man and inspiring, you know, really, really, uh, he loves to see people do well, I think. He see, loves to kind of inspire people to do well. And, you know, he certainly did that with me. I mean, when we were filming uh, his scenes for The Inheritance, like, you know, like we, uh, you know, did it one evening in his in his flat you know like with him and we didn't have any money for kind of like costume and he's meant to be playing like a 60 year old scottish man you know so you know he just put these glasses on put this hat on and it just he just transformed himself into this like 65 year old scottish man in front of me you know it was just like incredible and again what's you know what was funny was that um so when we finished the inheritance uh which we shot again five grand 11 days we um put it into the Raindance Film Festival here and it actually ended up getting nominated for Best British Feature against Was, that three million quid film <laughs> that I'd been doing the making of documentary wow. there. So like cool. it was crazy, but like I got fired. Vertigo were like, yeah, they were like, you can't be making films. And I was like, but I've done it in my summer holidays, like in my own time. Like, you know, I still work my ass off in the office, hardest work in the office. Like, and they were like, no, but they were like, they were funny about it, but they were also like, you're fired. Do you think they would have looked at the fact that you had Tom in it and that he was in their film and felt like, I don't know, that there was, because I've often thought like being on, um, working on features, oh, it'd be so cool to have this person come on my podcast or it'd be so cool to collaborate with this person. But I've, always kind of had that sort of thing in the back of my head like but will is there some sort of like will there be some sort of repercussion which there shouldn't be I suppose because it's just a creative kind of um process but did you was there any sort of I mean what was awesome was like that I, I would argue that that repercussion was like the best thing that ever happened to me <laughs> because it was brilliant because I had to become like a freelance filmmaker yeah like I didn't I didn't have any clients like I didn't I'd never made any music videos I'd never made anything uh for it like I'd never made anything for any I never had any clients or anything so it was like if I'd logically thought about right now I need to like finish working on my distribution job and then kind of start hustling work like it would just never it wouldn't you know I'd probably still be working at Vertigo now but it was like because I was like okay right okay well now I'm a freelance filmmaker like I'd never been a freelance filmmaker before but it was like right and the thing that was great is like that, um, you know, in, in some ways, Tom's like an anarchist, you know, and like, I'm a bit of an anarchist as well. And it was like, that was like, you know, it was the best thing, right? It was like, okay, right. I was like, mate, bad news, I've been fired. But like, you know, good news is we're like, you know, playing at Premier and at the, you know, for Best British Feature. And, you know, it was nice. We won a British Independent Film Award after that, which again, Tom was very supportive about. And what was awesome was that he, you know, like, um, 
yeah, he, you know, he kept in touch and kept doing stuff. And we did like a music video with Wiley, did a little role in that. And yeah, like other bits and pieces. And yeah, it was cool. But yeah, it's that funny thing is it's like if you, I think if you sometimes think about it too much, you know, like if you kind of, I can, myself, I can overanalyze the situation, but just having to react and be like, okay, well, I just need to, I don't know what, I don't know what, what direction I'm going, but I just need to go forward. Yeah. What, what, what did you kind of think, I guess, in the, production process and the post-production process of the inheritance what were on a daily basis i guess the biggest challenges and obstacles uh in production and then also in post-production uh in terms of production um i mean it was very exhilarating which i loved uh i mean that was kind of like the first really big thing i'd done with other actors i'd worked with actors on my little shorts and stuff but um really kind of like working on a performance uh working you know, uh, w- was interesting. And I think uh, the production stuff in a funny way has always been as kind of like natural as breathing to me. Like I've always, I've always kind of done it. So I was, uh, that wasn't too much of a surprise. And I'd been on other film sets. So I'd kind of seen what maybe some directors did that I wouldn't do, like, or, you know, different things. And the thing that was quite the most challenging part, and I still think it always is in a funny way, was post-production. Because like I would, my day would start where I would get into the like vertigo office for maybe half seven in the morning, eight o'clock, work through till like seven o'clock at night, wait till everybody's left the office, go upstairs to the edit suites and start editing my film with the editor. It was like a covert mission. And we would maybe edit till like two or three in the morning, go back, you know, go back, sleep for a few hours and come back into the office and, you know, do my day job. So it was like, yeah, it was kind of like alter ego of kind of like, you know, film distribution guy in the day and then in the evening kind of like a film director um and again even just with that it was just like the amount of time it took i guess in some ways because you think you're kind of like finished even when you finish the edit and it's like well you know the sound design and you know i'm i'm really obsessed with sound and i really love that process but even that for the first time i did that i was amazed just how much that improves the film and how you can get so interestingly creative and i worked with a great mixer um guy called dan johnson um who was who did an amazing job and really elevated it the film as well so yeah it was cool and uh, you know people were really supportive um because at that point when you've got no money all you really have is passion right that's it you know that's the currency so it's like you know people were really uh open to us and you know really supportive uh which was kind of like even look back now it's i'm always trying i trying to be like that myself i guess because it's like yeah, people don't realize that even like a little word of encouragement or a little bit of support or even introducing you to somebody, it's a small thing to do, but like we had so much of that with the inheritance and, you know, if anything, it's like you just have to do that back. So what was the lifespan, I guess, of the inheritance uh, before you realized I got to do something else or, um, you know, you started seeking out other work? I mean, what was cool was like we... we released we did like uh we played like 20 cinemas across the uk oh, wow we uh yeah we basically because i'd worked in distribution we self-distributed it <laughs> cool. uh yeah and it was good we did uh they did the dvd but we did the dvd with like a kind of like case study of how to make a film for five grand in 11 days so with the dvd you got how we made the film and the film so what was brilliant was still available yeah yeah, yeah cool so what, what was funny with that was even with our like, little five grand like budget like the one of the proudest things with the film is that like um the investors got their money back like within like i don't know a week two weeks of the dvd being on sale <laughs> yeah so it was cool like it That's was really re- cool yeah it was a nice feeling because they kind of again they kind of really put faith in us and stuff so 
Um, what was nice was after that, I was like, uh, yeah, we managed to live off that for a little while, which was cool. And then it was, you know, uh, it was Tom who introduced me to uh, a, a musician, like Wiley's manager. And he, so through that, I got into music videos, um, did like music stuff for kind of Faithless, uh, did stuff for, stuff for Steve Mason. Um, and yeah, and that kind of led to me doing like a documentary uh for nike which was good and it was nice because all these little things were um there were opportunities for me to kind of like hone my craft a little bit um work with different collaborators and yeah just really get a sense of what it what uh it really let me know that like what my passion was more than anything was films you know like musicy stuff was interesting but it was like you know, I was never like a music video guy. I enjoy them, but it was always my inspiration was always cinema. And what was nice is after dipping my toe in that world for a little bit um, and continuing to write stuff and develop stuff, um, I was kind of like, you know, I want to put my energies into the cinema stuff, I guess. Yeah. Are there any films that, you know, you still kind of recall watching as a kid that really kind of drive that passion for cinema? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, again, it kind of like, it changes a lot, but... Uh, I mean, I think the first film that made me think, oh, this film's different to other films and why is it different was like uh, Goodfellas. Yeah. You know, like you, there's there's just something about that. The the storytelling is so seductive and glamorous and uh, the performances are incredible. And yeah, I mean, that was, that was the first film that made me think, okay, there's something different about this and it's because of this thing called the director. Um, but I mean, yeah, like loads of films from that time you know i remember obsessing about the original batman even then you know i would have the vhs and just watch Michael it Caton, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Kim and stuff like that it's, yeah, and jack nicholson and yeah you yeah, just absolutely love it but what was quite nice because my mum's french is um it was quite nice that i could get a real sense of kind of french cinema through her a little bit as well and what's quite funny was being half french and half scottish like in Scottish, it's kind of, in Scotland, it's quite like a macho environment and kind of like quite a, like men's men and kind of quite a sporty and that kind of thing. Whereas somewhere like in France, like in, in a way in France, there's nothing great than being an artist there. In a weird way, it's just like a different... And growing up, like I, I, cause I spent time with my French family and it would be, there'd be these differences where like, we, you know, we'd watch these really interesting films and we'd sit for two hours at lunch and talk about you know, big ideas and stuff, which was, again, completely alien to what I was used to in Scotland. But because of that, I think uh, it definitely encouraged me to kind of like maybe look a little bit further and, you know, I'd be recording films when I was at school. So I would come back and there'd always be these matinees on BBC. So I'd sit and watch these matinees and, you know, like fell in love with kind of Hitchcock. Uh, I remember seeing The Conformist at maybe like 15 or something like that as well. And that film blew my mind. The original Pusher as well. That's the original Pusher is still one of my favourite films. Um, I still think it's got the best chase of all time. You know, the chase when he's on foot. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just like, and it's just, I was fortunate enough to meet the DOP that worked on it. And uh, he was doing that film, was in uh, Belfast as well. It was weird little synergy of different people who were, ended up being amazing. But they just did it on a bike. They just, like, you know, did this chase just literally with the DOP, like, on the back of a dirt bike. And it's still, like, this amazing chase. 
Um, but yeah, it was kind of, you know, it was really great. There was Mark Cousins, uh, the critic, did these great things where he would talk about films like uh, Le Plain de Soyel and, you know, give them a little introduction or Rosemary's Baby. And uh, yeah, I remember just really getting into that and, you know, stuff like Apocalypse Now and all that kind of 70s cinema as well. But yeah, I, I, I had a kind of healthy love of European cinema as well, I guess. What was it about storytelling that was really driving you to this kind of point? Well, what's interesting, it's like, you know, for me, in, in a funny way, I kind of don't even really consider myself a filmmaker. I much more consider myself like a storyteller. Like my, like my favorite things in the world are like being told like a great story by somebody, you know, and like my dad's like that. He's like just this incredible storyteller, you know, he's just got hundreds of stories. But, um, you know, that well-crafted story. I remember even when I was young, I would just prompt him. I'd be like, oh, dad, tell me the story about this. Or tell us when granddad, like, drove the bike into the wall. Like, you know, all this kind of... And, you know, he would just... What was that story? So I was... He would be... Dad, my grandfather had uh, this old motorbike and uh, my dad was kind of, like, trying to help him with this motorbike when he was maybe eight or nine. And uh, my granddad was like, oh, no, it's okay. I don't need any help with it. I don't need any help with it. And then my dad was like, are you sure? And then he ended up just kind of, like turning it on it just accelerated forward and drove halfway up a wall and over his head destroyed the bike and stuff like that so yeah but it was funny like my dad uh, like i said he's a blacksmith but he kind of wanted to be a sculptor so um but he that he couldn't actually do that because he had to take over his dad's my grandfather's business when he was like 15 years old not as a result of the bike injury but like uh, but yeah so he'd always had that thing where um he'd kind of like wanted to maybe to do something creative, but then had been forced through circumstances to kind of like take over the business and like work as like, and become serious and like a professional at like 15. So I think what was nice with the inheritance is it was like, it was like the first time my parents believed that I would actually be a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> like it was like, I was like always like this, like dysfunctional black sheep of the family yeah. who's just like, he said he's going to be a filmmaker. Like what is he, what is he talking about? But what was so nice with the inheritance is it was like, you know, we played all over the world and uh, yeah, it was like the first time where like my dad, um, you know, and it was cool with the inheritance because like the first scene, the very, I always said to my dad, like his workshop, his blacksmith workshop would be like, um, like an amazing set for a film. It's it just is. It's just like, you can't make something like that. It's just, you know, like 60, 70 years of metal work all around and all that stuff. And the very first thing we shot in the inheritance was like in the workshop. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, dad, I've told you, I've told you big man. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was good. So it was good. It's very cool. So you know, you said there are a couple of false starts in the next sort of, I guess, eight, ten year period. Teases, 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 exes, yeah. Yeah, a couple of films that you were attached to that I guess other people would go on to direct. What was that like, I guess, from a, I guess, an ego point of view, but also from a creative point of view, someone wanting to, you know, you want to continue working and honing your craft to then see someone else given the job that you were meant to have i always say it's kind of like it's like if an ex-girlfriend invite you to the wedding yeah <laughs> you kind of like you don't want to go right you kind of like you know but genuinely um i think as a director and advising you almost need to have five projects kind of going on at once and whatever one decides to go that'll be the one that goes but yeah i mean it is it's like the the film industry is tough you know and, and i think again i'd come i'm a very uh, i'm quite a genuine person and i'm quite uh like i'm a very trusting person and i think sometimes it can be difficult because like you know um a lot of the time you are it's nobody's fault but like a relationship can change 
you know, I'd, I'd set up a company after um, with one of the producers of the inheritance and, you know, for whatever reason that didn't work out. And it's like, that was quite difficult where it was like, you know, people can change, you know, and it's not even a good or a bad thing. It's just people can change. And um, what was what was really great um, was I did um, Channel 4 do this thing called Coming Up, where a great scheme where they kind of pair directors with writers and, you know, you get to do, you know, it was, it was really great. So I'd met a few different writers on that. And at the time I'd kind of been writing myself, but then also developing stuff. And what was nice was through that process, like I met three writers that I'm still working with all three to this day. And one of those was Simon Lewis, who did Jet Trash. But it was great because, um, you know, uh, in that arena, like, you know, me and Simon uh, developed uh, uh, the anomaly together, which Noel Clark directed. And um, it was it was tough because that was something that was like a project that was really dear to my heart. Do you know what I mean? And me and Simon had kind of developed it, came up with the idea ourselves. And um, Simon had obviously had written it and it, it was great and I think you know more than anything it, it was um you, you're kind of at a point where you're uh you you need to like uh I, I never want to be in a situation with a film where like uh I feel like I can't do my best work in some ways and it's like with something even like the anomaly or other films that I've been attached to I'll always in some ways I'm quite a, a, a rigid person in some ways because ultimately when it comes down to it, I'm like a man of principle. Mm. And that's really difficult sometimes <laughs> because <laughs> it's like all I care about is the film, yeah. you know? And it's like, you know, maybe in some ways, like I'm a little bit too honest, you know? And it's only because for me, I'm just striving. I'm always, always striving for the film to be the best it can be, you know? And I love collaborating. And I think it's just, it's like um, with something like... Uh, Away as well. I was attached to that, which was like another film. And what was great was Away, uh, which my dear friend uh, Roger Hadfield had written. And, you know, we'd wrecked that in Blackpool and uh, suggested Juno Temple. And she came on board that with Timothy Spall. Um, is that actually premiered uh, Edinburgh at the same time as us, as Jet Trash? But which was quite funny because if you'd told me, like, say, with The Anomaly, Away and Jet Trash, all of those were kind of bubbling away at the same time. And if you told me that the film that would get made out of those three would be the one that was set like a micro-budget film in India, you know, with like dead cows, uh, car chases, you know what I mean? I would never have said it would be that one, but out of uh, with fate, that was the one that ended up going, you know? So when you did start working on Jet Trash, I guess is there kind of scepticism? Is there a little bit of apprehension like... You don't want to invest too much in the early stages because it might be taken away at that point, or were you just kind of like, "Fuck it, I'm all in, and let's let's go, let's make it." Thing with me that's it's difficult, and this is why I need to be like picky with projects now. Is it's like if I commit to a project, I'm just all in. I am like fifth gear or no gear. I'm just 100, percent and that's like, which is which is good because there was something about Jet Trash where Andy Brunskill, the producer he'd actually, how we'd met and how we'd stayed in touch is we actually used to make teas and coffees together at Vertigo <laughs> yeah, 10 years cool. earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so right. it was the kind of thing where he'd went away and there was always something about Andy where I was like, I knew he'd be relatively successful. He just was really smart and he had a really good um, way about him and a really passionate guy. And I thought, this guy's going places. So what was great is we'd kind of kept in touch. Um, and again, like that's, again, something else where it's like you never know, you know, if you should be, keep in touch with people you know who you at that level because yeah he went off and he started a company and um you know they managed to 
you know, raise finance for it. And, and what was great is me and Simon had had a few false starts. Um, and what was nice was with this, I was like, I knew both of us were like really committed to this one happening. And, you know, I'd introduced Simon to Andy years ago and we'd always talked about Go, that, uh, the book that Jet Trash was based on. That was Andy's favourite book. And, you know, we all of us kind of like loved Robert Sheehan, do you know what I mean? And it was, there was a lot of things that kind it's of came together. Detector. Yeah. Yeah. And what was funny is that Simon Lewis had written a short film that's, that he had played in as well. And uh, so there was like a weird synergy of people and I'd kind of met Rob briefly. Um, and I'd, yeah, just a massive fan of his work. So we knew if he came on board, we would, uh, you know, the project would have a good chance of happening because he would come on board as a producer, um, which was great. So it was really nice because he yeah we we did this meeting where we kind of talked about him and you know he says uh later in the process that like you know the it was the producing thing that really attracted him actually not just the material which was cool and yeah we just kind of like made this madcap plan to kind of like make the film in india but what was kind of really great was that rob only had a window um for like three weeks that we had to make the film in so that was like a year away so pretty much from that point we had like a year to get everything together to get to india yeah wow i'm sure that was uh, probably a film in and of itself oh mate it get was crazy time pressure oh set. mate it was crazy and you know to work on a script and that was so much fun working we worked work closely with the script with rob and uh, kind of like staying doing all night it was at his place doing that thing and just getting everything together really you know I love the way as well, Al, when I actually think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that was quite stressful, but not nothing nothing can be as stressful as shooting in the India in yeah. some ways. It's like, oh yeah, that was painful, but not like the real pain, not like the kind of like uh, the next level, uh, yeah, steroid, it's like steroid pain, steroid pain right. of India. Go on. <laughs> well, no, no, it was good. It's just like, every, you know, it's like as uh, somebody who, you know, when I made The Inheritance, I was obviously shooting in Scotland and so you've got the cold thing, but having to like shoot in like 40 degrees, 45 degrees, like that's like a new thing to me, you know, yeah. like, uh, yeah, it was, and again, we were like such a low budget film out there um, that we'd be like trying to shut down like markets and stuff like that with like, you know, like two runners, you know, or AT <laughs> and like two runners. Like, it, and again, you know, it was, it was super ambitious, super, Is it super. a local crew or do you take a crew over? We took some HODs, like brilliant, my brilliant assistant director, Ollie Williamson and um, yeah, some kind of DOP and production designers and stuff, which were great. Um, but it was kind of nice because the Indian crew in some ways were like so much more experienced because they all flew in from Mumbai and like, you know, Bollywood, they just make so many films, you know, so they uh, are like focus pillar. Monique had worked on like Mission Impossible 4 and like, uh, yeah, uh, he was an amazing guy. So I actually, I loved working with the Indian crew in some ways because they were very like super, super experienced. Um, but again, we had like so much crazy stuff happen um, on that film uh, that, yeah, it's just like, even that, when I came back from India, like uh, my girlfriend, Kat was just like, um, you know, like, you look you look okay. And I was just like, yeah, I've got like a banging tan, but like I'm like more stressed than I've ever been. I was like, we walking down the road and I'd be like, can we just not walk in the sunshine the side of the street because it reminds me of India. Like, like you know, I've been off curries and stuff like that for like two or three years. But I'm, I'm half joking now because like the film's come out now and it's finished that I can kind of laugh about it a bit. But it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. I heard there was a fairly uh, crazy incident that involved malaria tablets. Yeah. We basically, we were all taken, uh, advised again, get all our injections, immunizations for malaria. And um, we're kind of like midway through the shoot. And um, I won't say who the crew member was, but one of the crew members 
uh, is acting a little bit uh, unusually like on set and, and you know it's like gore so everybody's kind of been like you know it's quite uh, an extreme place so the heat and everything like that so I didn't think too much of it but he was saying like a few weird things but I was kind of like okay asked him to calm down and stuff and then um, we were filming we were about to start our night shoots and um, at this point through like various reasons like we're like midway through the shoot and we're still not cast our antagonist or like we've been let down quite a few different ways but it's quite scary like shooting the film when you like we, you, the person's not even been cast so yeah. like, I'm getting sent like casting tapes <laughs> and like the internet's obviously like terrible in India so I can't even watch like the show reels yeah. <laughs> so I'm like literally like you know, like it was uh, you know and thankfully it worked out Craig Parkinson who came to play Marlowe was amazing but like you know I had to cast him because I knew him like I knew his work that was so at that point we've not got our antagonist and we're midway through a shoot and uh, obviously everybody's getting a bit stressed out about this and uh so it's a scene where the two guys are on a beach and Saul uh, played by or wonderful actor Ozzy has got his camera and this crew member is like oh you know but if you you wouldn't have you would need the lens cap on the camera to for it to be you know not to be covered in sand and I was like oh you know yeah we've not got the lens cap so don't worry about it and then he was like oh they started going a bit like and then all of a sudden um he grabs Rob Sheehan by the throat like right neck puts him in a chokehold and uh he says to him like it's like an immortal line but he, he says to him i can see the evil in your eyes and he's like i'll be your marlo like instigated that he is the antagonist of the film so he basically I'm, like, it was literally like a mexican standoff where he's got like rob's like <laughs> screaming he's got like in the choke do you know what i mean and it's like security security so like eventually like we get uh we get him off um we get him off, Rob, and, um, you know, Rob's obviously, like, quite shook up, and, you know, so security have taken a crew member off set, and he's, you know, like, on the way to the hospital, so it's like he's having a psychic episode, so um, we were obviously very worried about him, but he, uh, on the way out there, and this, I've not, I wasn't there, but I've heard about it, he, um, well, you know, he was trying to jump out the car and stuff like that, because he thought he was being kidnapped to be killed. So uh, he, this person's uh, cousin had they'd been out the night before and uh, they'd been drinking. So she text happened to just text him when he's in the middle of the car having this episode saying, uh, "You must be dying today," like talking about the <laughs> But he's having this psychic episode. He's like, "I knew it! I knew it!" Like I'm kind of you know, you guys are taking me away to kill me. So he managed to escape the cab a few times. They had to chase him down the streets. Eventually take him there. Eventually get him to hospital where he's you know screaming a place down. And um, they were like, okay, we need to sedate this crew member. And um, they put him down and about to give him an injection. And he, and he looks up to the drip and he's like, goes crazy because genuinely there's like a bubble in the drip. And if that bubble had actually been connected to him, he would have acted, there would be a good chance he would have died. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, he literally saved his whole life yeah. with the paranoia of thinking that he was actually going to die. So you can imagine that. You know, and the best part of Jet Trash and the best part of Rob, and this is so testament to Rob, is that um, three days later when the crew member was better, you know, Rob was like, I'm just totally happy for him to come on set and completely appreciate that it was just the malaria tablets that he had a bad reaction to. And, you know, he finished the film and, you know, did a pretty good job for the rest of the film. But, yeah, it was... A crazy experience. But that was, like, one of many. Like, there was... A, yeah, there's a, it was... It's a, it's a mad place. Like, I think the other one that was crazy was we'd shot in this um, place called Leopard Valley 
it was like a big nightclub place in the middle of nowhere and there was like a politician who like let them have it because he had like a little like flat at the bottom there where he would like entertain his like lady friends away from his family and stuff and basically once we'd left there um i think other clubs were like upset that we hadn't filmed in their clubs so they found like a beheaded body there like like a day after like, we finished filming fucking hell <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> I mean, again, it was like, there's still quite a lot of stuff to shoot. Like, you yeah. know, you're just like, like, just, yeah, like old school beheaded. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Right. That's mental. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, no, but I thought like, it was good. It was but Also as well, because of the time constraints, for me, it was like, um, it was difficult because I would have to be able, have to tell my actors, like on some takes, you've got like literally one take on this. I'm going to do like a master there's like four, four, like five of you in the scene and I'm going to... The only time we've got left is I'm going to be able to like have to film you say your line and then I'm going to go to the next person and then you're going to do your line and then... Like, but you've only got one take on this. Like, you know, and again, you can only do that when you've got like amazing actors. Do you know what I mean? Because the whole film is like... I always say it's like, it's like a fag, fags paper thickness away from disaster. It's like, you know, it's such a... Yeah, in some ways, like Jet Trash, it was like a massive silver bullet that was like coming towards my career and just would have ended me. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because it was like, it, yeah, it was. Uh, it had the capacity to be like, yeah, to be disastrous. To be honest with you. Yeah, well, you created a great film, really, Thanks, dude. really great film. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. It's got such a kind of beautiful intensity um, that is maybe lacking in uh, in some films today, but. I think the subject matter as well, it feels like there's this kind of propensity that you have towards kind of exploring the human condition in a particular in a particular way, even though um, The Inheritance and Jet Trash and um, I'm guessing your next sort of films are not directly kind of related. There does seem to be a kind of um, uh, thematic through line. Um, I wonder what the kind of how you felt like your process had evolved as a director and as a filmmaker from um, the inheritance to Jet Trash with all of the kind of experience of 10 years in between. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I think for me with films, like what I need to do is I need to be able to make them personal to me. That's how it works for me, like in some ways. So like the inheritance wasn't necessarily about when I first read it, it wasn't necessarily about brothers but I've got like two amazing brothers so it was like I made it about that like um jet trash was about for me it became about male friendship you know like I could relate to that so it was like I really tried to make it about that and I think definitely some of that intensity to jet trash I mean when I watched it like when we premiered at Edinburgh Film Festival it was like I was like surprised oh it is pretty dark but it's like a lot of that came from like the intensity of making the film in a funny way um but yeah, I, I think I guess like in terms of how uh, my career's evolved, like I think um, you know I, I I love filmmaking more than ever in some ways. Like I think uh, it's definitely uh, as Werner Herzog says, it's given me everything and taken everything away. It's like the best best quote ever about filmmaking, and I think um, you know it's as part of who I am. I guess it's definitely like a, a lifestyle and an extreme sport and um it's you know it, it has an intensity to it but I, I think that's more than what i've what i've done than ever before is it's like you've just got to really love the project i think you know because there'll be so many times like there'll be times like say on jet trash where um maybe like everybody's left the edit do you know what i mean and i'm there myself 
editing through the night to make a deadline you know and everybody's gone you know and the film's not quite finished yet so it's not quite working yet so it's like like maybe i don't know 300 400 people worked on jet trash all the way through it and it's like everybody's left and i'm the only person there working on it because kind of nobody really gives a shit about it more than me <laughs> like you know and that's just the nature of it but it's kind of like as a result of that when you're in those situations and it kind of is all on, is on you a little bit that yeah i, I just think um I guess you've got to, you've just got to respect the process. And it's like, I, I want to work with people who, you know, really um, are as invested about the project as I am, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. And how do you feel, I guess, on a creative level that um, your process evolved? It's hard for me to say, I guess. It would almost be easier for somebody who's worked with me. Because uh, in some ways, I feel like it's quite similar. I mean, I think in some ways, I know I've obviously got a lot more technique, you know, like... Uh, the film that I'm just finishing now, like I, I shot myself as well, uh, which was a, uh, which was fun and it was like something interesting to do, um, which I'd definitely do again. And, you know, I, I think for me, I realise what I love most about the process is being on set with my actors. You know, I feel like I do all the meetings, I do all the pitching, I do all that legwork, you know, getting the script finance, getting it done to get to that point where I can be on set with my actors and watching them perform. Because it's like when an actor performs, to me, it's, it's like magic. You know, it's like a magic trick. You know, I don't care what the actor looks like. I don't care uh, what it is. Like with a magician, you don't care who's doing the magic trick, right? If it's a great trick, you're just like, this is incredible. And I think for me, that's the more I do, the more I'm like, that's what I live for. You know, that's the juice for me. Everything else is just a little bit, um, you know, it's interesting to me. And I, you know, but it's like watching an actor and uh, honing a performance and kind of like really um watch a watch a committed actor um create something from you know taking the words what's on the script which you've maybe read it like a thousand ways you're like oh okay it could be that and they just do it one take and you're like well it can only be that way now you know it's just it's for me that uh, that's what i love and I, I guess if anything what i am now is i'm more uh, i'll fight very hard to make sure that we've got the time to do that you know in some ways to really make sure um, that that process is respected. So moving through Jet Trash, I guess what was the... Because you, you released that toward the end of last year, yeah? yeah? yeah. In uh, 2016. What's it been like, I, I guess, you know, seeing the kind of Jet Trash have its own life and then you've gone on to make another film. What was the other film Malt you Lake. mentioned before? Malt, Malt Lake. Um and then to be attached to the Blue Mauritius, and there's another film that I know that you're kind of, that you're looking to get up as well. What's what's it been like to kind of have that? I guess uh, that experience of of stuff actually starting to gain momentum. Well, what was quite nice, even within that ten year period, I was kind of like working on this film, Mot Lake, that'll be, be my third film. But it was kind of like in some ways I was doing it in tandem uh, with Jet Trash, so it was great because a lot of the team from Jet Trash came on Malt Lake and a lot of the team from Malt Lake came on Jet Trash so there was kind of like a there was a massive overlap so like you know believe me like you know doing you know pretty much finishing those films kind of at a similar time you know and being in a similar place with you know being in the edit with both of them um as well as then kind of like hustling other bits of work and other bits of things to do was like it was like yeah it was quite intense but what was great is um because I'm producing 
my third film as well. It's just like um, it, it totally has been like uh, Fitzcarraldo, you know, like pulling that boat up a mountain. But in another way as well, it's meant that I've been able to kind of do something that I'm really proud of. That you know, hopefully, we'll have ready, you know, in the next uh, yeah, next like next few months or something like that. And again, very interesting because uh, to go from something like uh, Jet Trash, which again was like. It was like we shot it for 250,000, um, which is again, it's a step up. But what's funny is with that budget, like it's enough money that you've got, you can hire a crew and stuff, but it's like it's not enough money that people will do you favors because they know you've got money as well. It's kind of in the middle, so it's it's quite difficult in a way. But with something like Malt Lake, it's kind of just been like a real passion project as well. So it's almost like all the time off I've had, all the kind of extra uh, ideas I've had have gone into this film for a very long time. Um, so yeah i'm really excited to get that out and share it with the world as well but uh yeah it's just a that was the that was the other one that you've worked with tom, tom. Like. yeah yeah absolutely and uh like i say you know the man's an absolute genius and uh yeah just like being able to kind of um yeah just just watch somebody like that perform do you know what i mean I, I like it it really is like i can't express it like it's like like the greatest privilege in the world do you know what i mean like for me he's like a brando for us he's like a daniel day lewis he's like a once in a lifetime generation actor you know and it's like so i'll be i'll be really honest with you like when i because it's, it's coming to an end now the film which is a glorious thing um so even when i was watching like don kirk this weekend which again i absolutely loved but like there was just something about that film and the film you know like i think tom's so great in the film and like at the end like you know when his plane like you know they cut the, the engine on the plane and stuff like that it was just like yeah it was um you know just watching him smash it so hard in that film um and think about the journey we've been on together you know and yeah it was it's amazing like i'm just like uh you know so incredibly proud but also just i genuinely feel like so privileged to to have known him and work with him so it's like to have that thing where we can kind of yeah finish the film we've been working on for ages and then yeah it's good but like yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to i'll have to talk to you more about it once the film's finished yeah, and yeah, then yeah. i can talk about it like <laughs> fully but it is it's like a, been a real labor of love and uh yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what people think it's uh, an intriguing film i guess yeah. I guess without going into too much detail, what's your collaborative process with him like? Do you just kind of you just kind of hands off, or is there a bit more to it than that? I think it's it's like interesting. Like with Tom, he's like such a like a such like a genius, and you know that, and he really is a genius. That it's like he's like he's like amazing at production design. Like in another world, he'd be like the one of the top production designers in the world. Like it's it's mad. The guys he's brilliant at it like uh he'll be drawing stuff he's like an amazing art he's like an amazing drawer like you know uh, he's just yeah so what's great with that is it's like it means that i have to just be on my a game all the time um which is for me really inspiring because it's like uh everything will be questioned everything will be discussed everything will be there'll be a process with everything and a discussion and i love that you know and i think for me having been um it's because he really cares, you know? And for me, that's the people I want to work with, you know? Like, it's not just, like, a job. It's not just, you know... And what's really difficult is it's, like... <laughs> it's uh, because I've been used to that, you know? It's almost like, at a very young age, I was, like, exposed to, like, you know... Uh, I don't know, like, a, driving a Ferrari or something like that. You know, it's like... It was, like, that's my first car in some ways. Do you know what I mean? And it's the kind of thing where it's a wonderful car and it's like you know 
and you don't get you don't on every job you know not necessarily working with somebody with people like that but I think it's it's that kind of um that intensity of hard work and that's the thing with Tom he's just such a grafter and that uh, that is something that uh, I really respect and I think if I was you know when I'm working with actors like I always encourage them to like debate stuff and tell me I'm wrong and tell me this isn't working and tell me that because it's like that's when it becomes good it's not necessarily easy but I, you know I didn't just get into films to make easy you know like it's irrelevant like you, you know it's like in some ways like all my sets have been it's been really you know it's been an intense environment but in some ways it's like I always more than now than ever before I always feel that nothing good ever came easy Mm, absolutely I guess it's the old cliche if it was easy everyone would be doing it kind of thing Um, how do you know uh, just before we do wrap it up what are your kind of markers of success for your films and how how has that shifted over the years but what I'm like really proud about and it's like a silly thing but it's not a silly thing but it is a silly thing but no it's like I'm really proud like the inheritance is just like I wouldn't change your frame about it you know I mean like I I feel like I couldn't have worked harder to make that film a success same as the film I'm just working on with Tom now in Lake. Same with um, Jet Trash. There's not, like, with Jet Trash, there's not, like, a frame I would change. It's, like, totally... Because we tried every single way. And I think as long as I can have that feeling that I couldn't have done more to make the film a success, then I, like, sleep well at night. I'm kind of, like... You know, I think, for me, if I felt like... I'd, like, oh, you know what, I just... I, I should have, to, you know, like... Uh, you know, I can just... we've It's been a really long day. We just... We should stop now. We should... And I felt if I looked back at that and I had that feeling of, well, you know what, I could have, I could have pushed it, I could have maxed that, I could have, you know, that's that's not a nice feeling to have, you know. So I guess the older I get, the more I'm like, well, if I know I've given everything to it and I've committed like 110%, whatever will be, will be, you know. And, and that's even in terms of how the film's received, like what people's perception is, like it's, for me, it's like, it's kind of irrelevant because with the tools that I got, I myself could not have like, worked harder to make that film a success it seems like that kind of grafting and that hard work and um that sort of perseverance has been a pretty big through line for you through your career to date yeah and it's like endurance and like i love like that responsibility like i love responsibility like i love uh with it being on me you know i really do it's kind of um it's something that like you know you you've got to get used to but i think because with me it's like i know i'll kind of like commit right the way through and as a result you know it means that sometimes I'll have to do more work on other aspects of the filmmaking process than I would would normally be expected but in the same way as well I like to think because I've got that it means other people have to work harder as well than maybe they're used to or would want to but if anything I've got that from Tom you know he forces me to work harder than I've ever worked before you know so it's like and that's why he's had all the success he's had you know and I think that's yeah that's something that I think the more I can do if I can kind of inspire my colleagues and collaborators that's something that's something to be said for that I think that's awesome well thank you so much Charlie for uh, for doing this podcast Um, I finish all of my chats with the same question the question is what makes you silly what makes me silly like I, I it's almost like what it should be like what makes you like not silly do you know what i mean i, I kind of think uh no i'm a total child like uh yeah my life is a disaster zone apart from filmmaking um but no genuinely like i think uh you know i, I i'm I, I think to be an artist you need to be you need to be childish in some ways do you know what i mean you need to kind of be like curious and 
you know, what's this going to do or what's that going to do and questioning. And, and I think it's just like, yeah, I'm just like inherently silly. I, but I will say the older I get, I kind of, I don't trust people who aren't silly in some ways. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, you can, you know, I, I, I can find silliness, uh, you know, in all aspects of life. And I think sometimes, yeah, it's, uh, you've got to embrace the silly man. Yeah. Do you have any uh, particularly fond, silly memories of being on set or something just happening? Like silly that like I, when I've been silly yeah. or like uh, when I, uh... so like my favorite, like silly, like me being silly story was um, I, I remember when I was working on the Dirty Sanchez film, you know, the, uh, one that I was doing, I, I was, uh, I was, I just splitting up with like a, an ex-girlfriend. So I was, you know, heartbroken and I got the opportunity because there was no budget on the film. They were like the cour- to courier tapes from Thailand. It's going to be super expensive. So it's actually cheaper to buy you a ticket out there, go to PP Island, uh, get these tapes and come back. <laughs> and I was like, brilliant. This is a great idea. So like, uh, went across and playing and stuff like that. And obviously I get to Thailand. I'm like, you know, I booked to go to this, um, it's like a four hour, uh, ferry from Phuket to go to this little Island. There's like one ferry a day. So like I get there and stuff like that. And I'm like sitting in a hotel room. I'm like, I've got to have a beer, right? I've got to, you know. So uh, one beer leads to like, you know, like four o'clock in the morning, stumbling home to a hotel and uh, I fall asleep. And then I woke up and I knew I'd missed the ferry because like, I, you know, it was like, I felt really relaxed and stuff like that. And the summer shit, I was like, oh shit, I've missed the ferry. And my flight was booked back that night. So I was like, oh God. So I had to like run down to reception and try and desperately to the guy. I was like, I need to get to this island. He's like, it's impossible. There's like one ferry, you've missed it. And I was like, fuck, I can't get my flight back, not with the tapes. This is like very silly. So uh, my the producer had like given me her credit card for emergencies. And um, so I had to call her and she said, I won't give you the pin, but if you have an emergency coming, you'll get the pin. So I had to call her and it was like obviously nighttime and she's like, Charlie, I hope there's not been a pro- I hope there's not a problem. And I was like, I think I've been a bit silly. And uh, so I need the pin card. So she gave me the pin number. And uh, so I had to like, the guy was like, it's going to be like, you can get you to the island, but it's like 15,000 Thai bar. And I was like, fuck. So I was like, okay. So I put the number got it and it's like like the cash was like it was like a massive wad of cash so I had to basically and the guy, the concierge at the hotel was like okay like keep coming around the corner and do that so I just basically had to give him this like huge wad of cash cash I was still like pissed at the time and I was like oh fuck this isn't good so giving away like all like producers mo- like money and I'm like in a cab cab comes to pick me up and I'm like oh, where you know where the hell am I going and uh they pull up to this like it's an old um, fishing harbour and there's like old seagulls all these old trawler boats and shit and I'm like at this point I'm like I might even just be getting executed <laughs> it might just be like, like like a cold execution and just Beheading. steal my money or, or kidnapped or something like that but uh, so we walk past all these uh, all these fish boats and stuff and at the end there's like this guy like walks up and he's like are you Charlie? he's like yeah I'm like Jimmy and he's like we're gonna get you to the island and he turns around and there's this like pink speedboat waiting and I was like so we jump on this like pink speedboat and within two minutes of like being on that pink speedboat, I was like, even if I never work in the film industry ever again and get completely sacked for this, this is like, it's probably worth it because it's like, <laughs> it looked like the most like obvious drug dealer because I had like a, a basically pink speedboat, like instead of taking four hours, it took 45 minutes, got them 45 minutes, jumped off the boat, ran onto the island, grabbed this like massive like bag of tapes and then, like, ran back on a boat. It looked like the most, like, obvious drug deliver. <laughs> like, I run back on this pink speedboat. It was a massive thing. 
and then we drove back and then you know i had to get a flight and then i had that flight like hung over just being like why were you so silly like why were you this and um, i got back with the tapes and managed to catch my flight and they were like oh yeah you, you need to go to tokyo next week do you know what i mean and i was like yes and they were like, oh, we thought you'd be really pissed off with it. I was like, no, this is, uh, I would have totally done it, but I didn't have to do it. But yeah, that was relatively silly of me. That's pretty silly of you. Mm, Thank was. you so much, Charlie. Dude, pleasure, Al. Thank you, man. Mm-hmm.